This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. So we are in the middle of letter 19, page 332. He's discussing prophecy. And the greatest prophet that ever lived is Moses. And yet, Moshe was only able to perceive the lowest level of the world, divine world of emanation. As it says in the Torah, God tells Moshe, you cannot see my face, you can only see my back. So Moshe saw the back of the level of wisdom, the way it's enclosed in a level of understanding, the way it's enclosed in the emotions. And even that was too transcendent for Moshe to actually perceive. All he was able to see and perceive was the lowest level, the levels of Malchus, which are like, so to speak, like the legs going forward, the most external part within the divine world of emanation. So the question, the question is, how is it possible that Moshe, the greatest prophet that ever lived, and according to Maimonides, the greatest prophet that will ever live. Moshe was only able to reach the lowest levels of the world of emanation. While in the Kabbalah, the Ari, today is the Ari's yard site, Rabbi Isaac Luria, Rabbi Isaac Luria, the master of Kabbalah, the Einstein of Kabbalah, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived in the 16th century in Svat. In the Kabbalah, Kabbalah discusses higher levels and discusses at great length the levels of the Svirot, the Ten Svirot, and the Four Worlds, and even the world of Keta, the transcendent world, and even the infinite. And so how is it that Moshe, the greatest prophet that ever lived, was only able to reach the lowest level of the world of emanation, versus the Kabbalah discusses higher levels, the highest levels of the world of emanation, levels that are beyond the world of emanation, levels that are even beyond that, the level of Keta, uh, the long phase, the God's pleasure and God's will, and Adam Kadman, the primordial man, and then the infinite, and then levels, and Hasidus discuss levels that are way beyond the level that, that Moshe perceived and was able to see. So, how is it possible that Ari, we're going to say that Arizal was greater than Moshe? Remember Isaac Luria and the Kabbalists? were able to see beyond what Moshe was able to see. How is it possible? That's the question that he's going to pose. Page 332, the second paragraph from the bottom. Now this seems surprising. After all, it is said, there arose no other prophet in Israel like Moshe. How then did Rabbi Luria, blessed memory, apprehend more than he and expound many themes dealing with Panemia, even of many spheres and levels that transcend Hoffman, Keter, or Batsilu. Yet the Arizel writes that Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy did not enable him to grasp the Panimiu of Hoffman, of Batsilu. The Kude Hagahot quotes here Kedushe Haritha, the supernal chariot, not as it appears in the world of Beria nor in the world of Atzilu, but at a higher level, was never beheld by the prophets, yet its secrets were known to the mystics of the Kabbalah, literally to the masters of truth. So if Moshe didn't know of all these levels, the highest level that he reached, and he was able to see and perceive and grasp were the lowest levels of the world of emanation, how is it possible that the Kabbalah, the Kabbalists, were able to see and discuss and we're aware of much, much higher levels, beyond the levels of the low, beyond the lower level and the internal levels. 
and not only of wisdom of the world of emanation, but even the level that transcends it, and even the level that transcends that. And that's the question. That's the key question. But it is, is plain it? and clear to all that there is a great difference between the apprehension of the Kabbalists, such as Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and Rabbi Isaac Gloria, blessed memory, which is an apprehension through wisdom and knowledge, and the prophetic apprehension of Moshe Rabbeinu, peace to him and the other prophets, to which scripture refers as actual vision. Obviously, Moshe, as a wise man, definitely saw whatever Darizal saw, and knew whatever Darizal knew. Prophecy is a whole different level. Prophecy is something very unique. You have to experience it to know what it is. But it's the equivalent of seeing something. You know, you can know something, you can learn something, you can grasp it, you can understand it, and even understand it well. When you actually see it, you can learn about a culture, you can learn about a people, you can learn about a country, but then when you actually travel and visit and experience it, it's a whole different level. When you actually see it, it's a whole different experience. Until that point, it was abstract. Abstract, interesting, abstract, but distant, remote. But to actually be able to see it, this is the level of prophecy. Now, obviously, the Kabbalists were also, it wasn't just that they were smart, smart men, and they figured out that there's four worlds and there's ten svirot and, the, and there's keta and there's primordial men and there's the infinite light. Of course, everything they wrote was by divine inspiration. <coughs> it was also the Holy Spirit that moved them, that they saw things and knew things that are not perceptible by the human eye. You know, the, the Kabbalah is like Everything that modern physics has discovered has all been written in the Kabbalah thousands of years ago. But they didn't figure it out by way of laboratory or they just perceived things and had access and insight to things by way of divine inspiration. And it says the difference between the Baal Shem Tov Rabbi Shimon Bayechai, the author of the Zohar, Rabbi Isaac Luria, whose yard said is today, and the Baal Shem Tov is that Rabbi Shimon Bayechai was like someone who comes to town and starts telling the people, I heard that in this distant land there's this magnificent king, and he starts describing the palaces. And this is a tale. He tells a tale of something that he heard. And it's gripping and it's fascinating. They've never heard anything like it. They've never seen anything like it. But they're just mesmerized by this tale that this person is telling them, is relating to them, of something in a distant place, in a faraway place. There is this king and this reality. And this... The Arizal took it a step further. The Arizal is like someone who comes to town and he tells everyone, I visited this, this land, let me tell you what I've seen. <laughs> there is this kingdom, and there's, there's palaces, and there's this king, and there's the magnificence. He's not describing the magnificence and the opulence and everything that he's seen and experienced. So he's telling them, I've seen it, trust me. And the Baal Shem Tov comes along, and he says, don't trust me. I'm not telling any tales. I'll show you. Come and I will show you this king. Let me open your eyes and let me show you this king. And the Baal Shem Tov showed us how Hashem is creating the world each and every moment. And nature is the greatest miracle. And if you're looking for Hashem, you don't have to go to heaven. You don't have to go to the heaven of heavens. Just open your eyes, open to the divine providence that's guiding each and every step of your life. Every minute detail, most tiniest detail, everything is by divine providence. And you'll see how God is constantly creating this world, the world is dynamic, and you can open your eyes and you can see the divine energy that's constantly creating us, and you see Hashem right in front of you. So, 
Even the Rav Shimon Bayechoy and Arizal was written by divine inspiration. It wasn't that they were just clever men and they figured out all these things that they write about. There's no cleverness in the world that you can help you figure this all out. It's Kabbalah, it's, it's, it's mystical, it's godly, it's truth, it's divine, it's by divine inspiration. But prophecy is a whole different order. We don't know it, so it's hard for us to describe it. But just like when you physically see something, we know that when you see something, it's not knowledge, it's not just abstract knowledge, it's not just intellectual knowledge. You can figure something out and you can know it, and it can be very crystal clear to you, but when you actually see it and experience it, you can't even compare. So the prophet is able to see God, is able to see God is. We don't know what it's like, because we don't have it. But they were able to see it. They were able to see things that the naked eye can't see. And they were able to know things without hearing any, without, without any physical, not through the physical senses. We only know things through the five senses. We see, we hear, we taste, we touch, we smell. The prophet is without, with his eyes closed, without hearing or physically seeing or physically hearing, is able to see with certainty. Not with, without any doubt. When God told Avraham, take your son to the Akedah, it wasn't Avraham was 99.9% sure that God spoke to him. <laughs> if, he was not, if it was even 0.1% question, a doubt, he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't be ready to offer his son to take Isaac's life. Unless it was a clear, it was no doubt. And the prophet, and God speaks to the prophet, it's a thousand percent certain, with certainty. Hashem is speaking to him. And he knows things. The prophet knows the future as if he's seeing it right now. He just knows. He sees it. Without, you can't see the future with your naked eye. It hasn't happened yet. But the prophet sees the future. He just sees it. Just like you see the sun shining. He just sees it. So we, we don't know what it is. It's a mystery to us. But this was something that the Jewish people, we all experienced when we stood at Sinai. We had a prophetic vision. God spoke to us. We heard God speak to us. He saw God, we heard God. It was face to face. And there were 1,200,000 prophets over the thousand years of the era of prophecy. So this was something that they saw. It's a whole different experience. When it says that Moshe achieved through his prophecy, he was able to reach the highest prophet, the greatest prophet that ever lived, was able to reach the lowest level of the world of emanation. But that means he was able to see it, to experience it. Just like we see the physical, we see the table. He was able to see the level of Atzillus, of emanation. Versus those who are not prophets, can talk about it, can discuss it, can describe it. The Kabbalists could talk about it. And not only the lower level of the world of emanation, they can talk about the highest level of the world of emanation, not only the external level, they can talk about the internal level, they can even talk about the levels that transcend the world of emanation and the primordial man and the infinite. But it's, it's all discussion. It's discussing being aware. So yes, they were aware by divine inspiration. They were holy Jews and they were aware by divine inspiration. But divine inspiration is a lower level than prophecy. It's not the same level as prophecy. There are many communications. There are many otherworldly type of connections and communications to the other world, to the, to the higher worlds. Um, the highest level, of course, being prophecy. Then you have divine inspiration. Then you have angels appearing, communication through angels. The Rabbi Yosef Kavro had a, a Magid, had an angel who revealed himself to him and would teach him. He wrote a whole book based on the teachings that this angel taught him. You have appearances by Elijah the prophet. There are those who merited to see Elijah the prophet. The Talmud is full. Many rabbis who have Elijah the prophet will come visit them and speak to them and teach them and discuss things with them. You have a heavenly voice, a paschal, an echo from heaven. So there are many communications that come from heaven as all stated in the Talmud. But the highest level of all is prophecy. See, we don't have any communication. The heavenly voice 
comes out every day, as it says in Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 6, but we don't hear it, at least consciously we don't hear it. Our soul hears it. Subconsciously our soul hears it, and hopefully it has an effect on us. It trickles down, but we're, we're unaware of it. But there are those who can hear the heavenly voice. Alter Rebbe's teacher and mentor, of Menachem Mendel of Vitebsk, when he moved from Russia, he moved to Israel, from Eastern Europe. First he was in Jerusalem, then he moved to Tzfat, and eventually he ended up in Tiberias. And that's where he passed away, and that's where he's buried. But he had to move out of Tzfat. He says he can't sleep in Tzfat. Because the, the ear in Tzfat is so clear. The connection to heaven is so strong that he hears the heavenly voice, and it just doesn't let him sleep. He can't sleep. <laughs> It bothers, it disturbs his sleep. We were in Svats, we slept like a baby, it didn't bother our sleep. <laughs> we had no problem. <laughs> but he, he couldn't sleep. You know, he, he heard the voice. It was so clear, the connection to heaven and Svat is so crystal clear, so powerful. Those who are tuned in hear it. Those who are tuned in. So those souls who are tuned in, even in this world, in the flesh, in the physical world. They live the type of life. They live an ascetic life, a godly life, a, a life that's connected. So they're tuned in. So they sense, they hear the heavenly echoes. They, they maybe speak to angels. They, they have divine inspiration. They may have visitations from Elijah the prophet. And then there were individuals who were prophets, even after the end of the era of prophecy. Vashemta was a prophet. Alter Rebbe was a prophet. The Rebbe was a prophet. But that's the highest level. Prophecy is a whole different level. Prophecy is like a direct experience, <coughs> as if you see something. You see it. When you see something, you're so certain. You see it, and it's tangible, and it's real, and it's and you can imagine the effect that it has on you. When you see Hashem, when you have a, when you have a prophecy, and you see. That's why this, there were a million, two hundred thousand prophets, where there were many more students of prophecy who tried to attain prophecy, who aspired to become prophets. Not everyone succeeded. It wasn't up to them. You can prepare, you can aspire, you can prepare yourself. Ultimately, prophecy comes from Hashem. Hashem chooses to reveal Himself <coughs> to you or not. You can prepare and then nothing happens. But if you don't prepare, surely nothing will happen. If you prepare, then at least you made yourself a vessel, a vehicle. Then if Hashem so chooses, you're ready to receive the prophet. Now, amongst the prophets themselves, Moshe was the greatest prophet that ever lived. All the other prophets, as Maimonides points out, all the other prophets, they would go into a trance. When they went into prophecy, they would literally go into a trance. That's why the prophet is called Meshuggah, madman. He would, he would go beyond the senses, go beyond his mind. He went out of his mind. <laughs> to be a prophet, you had to be perfect. A perfect intellect, a uh, disciplined, uh, a saintly person of great character. But then the actual experience of prophecy was going out of your mind. Was, was, and they went into a trance because they couldn't handle it in a conscious state. They couldn't handle this intense revelation while they were in a conscious state. Moshe was the only one who God spoke to him face to face. As if he was as if he was as one person speaking to the other. Moshe didn't have to go into a trance. He didn't have to lose himself. He didn't have to go out of his mind. He was so tuned in. He was so powerfully tuned in that he can, in a very natural state he can have attained this experience of prophecy this intense experience of prophecy, face-to-face. Well, but he didn't see his face. No. I mean, but like a person speaking oh, oh, face-to-face. Oh. In other words, he didn't, the, the, the experience of prophecy, he didn't, didn't lose himself. He didn't have to go into a trance and go into a whole different... He was able to absorb it and receive it in his conscious self-state. So there's no one who came close to Moshe, the greatest prophet that ever lived and the greatest prophet that ever lived. But that experience is so intense. It's like seeing. You know, you can learn about something, you can know about something, you can be aware about something, but you can't compare it to seeing. So divine inspiration, you're aware of things. Darizal was aware of things that no human being before or after was aware. He attained 
his levels of divine inspiration. He became aware of things. But it's not the level of prophecy. There's actually a story of the Arizal. Today is a Ziyarth site, 5th of Av. That the Arizal, Parshas Balak, was actually Parshas Balak, which we just read two weeks ago. And the Arizal was once taking a nap, Parshas Balak. I think his lips were moving, and when he, when he woke up, he told his student, he said, what I have seen in heaven during my nap, a half hour or whatever that he was asleep, if I tried to repeat it to you, it would take me 70, 80 years. So obviously, it's not that Arizal saw something so profound. If you have a profound idea, you don't need 70, 80 years to explain it. Okay, maybe it'll take me a week for, you, for me to explain it. You know, to someone simple, something that I, I saw in one minute, in one, a flash, a brilliant insight, a brilliant flash, it'll take me a week to explain. But 70, 80 years, that means that it was almost like a, a vision that he had, an experience that you can't put into words. So even if I speak for 70, 80 years, you still won't get what I'm trying to convey. So, so that experience of going to heaven, of divine inspiration, you know, meeting Elijah the prophet, an angelic encounter, uh, hearing the heavenly voice, obviously these are all experiences that are so beyond us in a different dimension that you can't even compare us simple human beings that have no connection and, and not tuned in to something spiritual. But it's one thing to be tuned in to something spiritual and to experience spirituality. For us, we've never even experienced... To experience something spiritual is already mind-blowing because it's so beyond our physical experience. But in prophecy you experience something godly. You see something godly. God is not spiritual, just like God is not physical. You talk about the world of emanation, the divine world, the world of unity, experiencing reality from from the inside out, from the divine point of view, and seeing reality from the inside out, from the divine point of view, and having the curtains removed and seeing reality from the inside... This is prophecy. Prophecy is, this is beyond divine inspiration. Divine inspiration is like, it's like a difference between spiritual and physical. You know, to use a human analogy, thought is much more spiritual than speech. Although thought is also words, I think with words. But what it takes me five minutes to think, I would need a half hour to speak. Thought is so much quicker. And thought is more intimate. No one knows what I'm thinking. When you speak, sometimes people speak, no one knows what they're speaking either. (laughs) But when you speak, it's revealed. Thought is intimate. Thought is private. And thought is much quicker. So too, the world, the different worlds, the different dimensions, it's like thought, speech, and action. The three worlds, the world of creation, formation, and actions, like thought, speech, and action. So it's the same reality, but it's the same reality that's projected. Like you take a three-dimensional reality and you project it on a two-dimensional surface. What do you get? A caricature, a cartoon. Our physical world is a projection of a spiritual reality, of a higher reality. It's like speech. When I, what I speak is a projection of what I'm thinking. But in the world of thought, it's much finer. It's much... It's much more intense, it's much more unified, it's much quicker. And that explains divine inspiration, as the famous story of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov is brought down in Hasidus, in Derech Mitzvah the Tzamech Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. But the Baal Shem Tov once visited, him and his students once made a surprise visit to this Jew, a very wealthy Jew, he was so taken by such guests, such special guests. He made a meal for them and he hosted them so graciously. And then the Baal Shem Tov said, do me a favor. I have a letter. Do me a favor. If you can deliver this letter to the president of the Jewish community of Brody. Not far from here. Just 
do me a favor and personally deliver the letter. Sure, Rebbe, sure. As the meal continued, he ran out of wine. He went down to the cellar to get some more wine, and the letter he had in his pocket fell out of his pocket, and he dropped it, and he lost it in the cellar. Anyway, Hashem to have left, and he forgot all about it. He forgot about the letter. He forgot, then wasn't looking for it. He forgot all about it. This happened many years later. Actually, the Hashem had already passed away. And many years later, he lost everything. Out of desperation, he went down to the cellar, hoping maybe he'll find something or something, a lost button, a golden button from his rich days. Maybe he'll be able to sell something, something of value. He's looking through the shmatas. At his horror, he finds a letter. He's like stunned. And he reminds himself, many years ago, the Vashemta was here. He personally wrote a letter. He personally asked him to hand-deliver this to the president. It said the name there, you know, I forgot the name, whatever. Rabbi Ephraim, the president of the city of Brody. He says, wow, no wonder why I became poor. God punished me. Are you kidding? The Bashemta wrote a letter. Who knows how important this letter must have been? And I neglected it, and I completely forgot about it. And I looked. Immediately decides I have to deliver the letter. It's many years later, but whatever it is, I have to mend, I have to make amends. He couldn't afford a horse and buggy, so he starts walking, catching a ride whenever he can. He finally arrives in the city of Brody. He right away stops the first Jew. Do me a favor. You know the president of the city of Brody, Rabbi Ephraim? Ephraim? He looks at him, he says, There's no such person. He says, yeah, not today. This letter was written many years ago. Who was the previous president? He says, no, there was no president. He goes, he stops an old-timer, an old Jew, a 90-year-old Jew who's walking down the street. He says, do you remember Rabbi Ephraim who was the president of the city of Brody? He says, listen, since I'm alive, there was never Rabbi Ephraim. There was no Rabbi Ephraim. There was, never, there was no president ever called Rabbi Ephraim. I know what you're talking about. As they're talking, there's a tumult in town. Mazel tov! to the new president of the city of Brody, Rabbi Ephraim. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he makes his way to the, with the crowd. They're all greeting, carrying the rabbi and greeting him. I mean, the president. And he pushes his way to the front. He says, Rabbi Ephraim, um, I have a letter for you from the Baal Shem Tov. <laughs> He says, what are you talking about? It's impossible. Baal Shem Tov passed away a few years ago. What are, what are you... He says, I have, a pre- I have a letter here. It says, addressed to the president of the city of Brody, Rabbi Ephraim, from the Baal Takes the letter, opens the letter. The Baal starts out. Rabbi Ephraim, Mazel Tov. It's the appointment of becoming president. And if you doubt that I'm writing you this letter, in a moment you're going to hear another Mazel Tov because your wife just gave birth to a baby boy. And as he's reading this, everyone cries out, Mazel Tov! The reason I'm writing you this letter is because this chassid of mine, very fine Jew, very kind Jew, he fell in very hard times. When he was wealthy, he was very generous, he was very kind. Please, I beg of you, help him, help him stand on his own two feet again. Help him become independent, self-sufficient. It's my personal request to you. And I wish you mazel tov, and I wish you well. The Balshemta wrote then, and he's writing that. Was this prophecy? Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration. What's Ruach HaKodesh? Everything that happens in this physical world, everything has a spiritual source. We're like the world of action. Everything is slowed down into slow motion. You know, when you write letters, it takes a lot of time to write each letter and each word. It takes more time to write it than it does to speak it. And it takes more time to speak than it does to think it. You can think it one minute, you can say it in five minutes, and it may take you 20 minutes to write it. So this world, everything is slow motion. There's a, a second, a minute, an hour, a day, a week, a month, a year, till things develop. In the higher realm, things happen quicker. So what, what happens here in a higher realm happens even quicker. So what, hap- what takes here, what happens here in 20 years in a higher world happens in a minute. It already happened. 
So in the world of thought, the Baal Shem Tov was plugged into the world of thought, divine inspiration. He saw it. It already happened. What, what in this world takes 20 years to unfold, he already saw it. It already happened. So that's divine inspiration. You know, the Rebbe would speak. You listen to the Rebbe's talks. 30 years ago, it's as if he's speaking today. Everything, that he, everything that's happening in the world today, it was like the Rebbe was always 20, 30 years ahead of everyone. He spoke 30 years ago. What's, what we're seeing today, to him it already happened. He saw it. No one else saw it. No one knows what he was talking about. But he saw it. It was right there. Because when you're tuned in, when you're plugged in, it's, it already happens. Okay, so it's going to take time to develop, to unfold. But it's already, the reality is already here. So divine, we have no sense of divine inspiration, of spirituality. To experience an angel, a spiritual thing, and the Tanakh, it was a whole thing. To, experience, to see an angel was a mind-boggling experience, a mind-blowing experience. An angel is, is an entity, is a being, but it's a spiritual being. So for a physical human being to be able to see an angel was like, wow. But prophecy to be able to see God, the godliness, Hashem. That's a whole different level. The distance between spirituality and the physical is nothing as in comparison as the distance between godliness and spirituality. Hashem is not spiritual, Hashem is not physical. Hashem creates heaven and earth. They're equally distant to Hashem, they're equally insignificant to Hashem. The prophet is able to sense and to see and experience something godly. Godliness. And the other prophets were able to see godliness as it's revealed, the chariot, as he says, as it was revealed in the world of creation, in the world of formation. Isaiah, the prophet, was able to see the world of emanation as it was experienced in the world, as seen through the world of creation, the higher world. Ezekiel was able to see the world of emanation as it was revealed and reflected in the world of formation versus Moshe was able to see the world of emanation, the divine world, the, the unified world, the lowest level of the unified world, was able to see it and experience it and sense it. Now, of course, the lower, lower you get, the lower level, the lower the level, the more words you find, the more wordy. You know, on a higher level, you know, there, there are no words. Just like in the human body, the, the head is the smallest part of the body. Yet the head contains the finest parts of the soul. The ability to see and to smell and to talk and to think and to comprehend and to hear. Everything is concentrated in the head. A small package. Good things come in small packages. The leg has one ability, and it takes up half, half of space <laughs> just to walk. The more spiritual, the more quality, the lesser the quantity. The lesser the quality, the more the quantity. The Mishnah, very brief, one paragraph, because the rabbis were so much greater the Tanoim of the Mishnah was so much greater than the rabbis of the Talmud, of the, the Amaroyim. So they didn't need so many words. They said it in one word, they captured all the depth and all the brilliance and all. But as time goes on, the more light there is, the less vessels there are. That's why we find that in the Torah, the Torah doesn't give us a description of the chariots or the early prophets, Samuel the prophet. doesn't give us a, a description of the chariots. The whole Kabbalah is based on the vision of the chariots. Isaiah gives us a very brief description. Who is the one who gives us the most elaborate description of the chariots? In the beginning of the book of Ezekiel, which was in Babylonia and the river Kavar, outside the land of Israel. And he elaborates on the chariots and the angels, and that's the whole basis of Kabbalah. So that Ezekiel saw more than Isaiah, saw more than Moses, and Samuel the prophet, and Moses? No, of course not. But the lower the level, 
the more wordy it becomes and the more you start noticing the surroundings. You know, when, when you're focused on Hashem, prophecy is experiencing godliness, experiencing Hashem. When you're experiencing Hashem, all there is is Hashem. You don't notice anything else. It didn't mean anything. It was completely insignificant. So to Samuel the prophet, to Moses, angels, didn't exist. didn't mean anything. As it says in the Torah, God tells Moshe, I'm going to send an angel after the sin of the golden calf. I'm going to send an angel. He's going to guide you. Moshe says, don't send me any angels. I want you. Moshe, the angels was a demotion to Moshe. Don't give me angels. I'm focused on you. All there is is you. There's nothing else. But when you're on the lower level and all you're seeing is a reflection of the lowest level of the world of emanation, the chariots, the way it's reflected, the world of emanation, the way it's reflected, the the Kisi HaKavit, the uh, throne of glory, but as it's reflected in the world of formation, which was the level of Ezekiel, there suddenly the angels are very prominent. There the majesty and the... You start noticing everything else. If you're focused on Hashem, you're not noticing anything else. You don't care about anything so there's nothing to report. All the report is Hashem. I'm not going to tell you about angels. Or angels, they don't exist. Who cares? But on the lower level, then suddenly you become very wordy and you start noticing the externals and the trappings and the palace and the surroundings. And that's why we get the full description, the full description of the angels. So prophecy... Divine inspiration is even just being tuned into something spiritual, experiencing something spiritual for a human being, a physical human being, to experience something spiritual, to see something spiritual, something heavenly. This is something very special. And these were the great Jews who had this connection to the spiritual. They were spiritual people. It says, till the Shach and Taz, the commentaries on the Code of Jewish Law, the 17th century, all the great rabbis, they, they wrote their works with divine inspiration. They were holy Jews. They had divine inspiration, divine guidance in all their Torah interpretations. They were holy people. There was even a concept of asking questions from heaven. In a dream, they didn't know an answer. They would, they would a- a- ask. It's called a shaylas cholam, ask take a parchment and write a question and put it under the pillow after many preparations, spiritual preparations, and in the morning they would find an answer written on the parchment. Whatever form it was written at, they would find an answer. They got, they got their divine answer, the heavenly answer. So these were Jews who had a connection to heaven. You know, it's very hard, rare to find that today. It was so coarse and crass and selfish and self-centered and egocentric and ego that we don't, we're disconnected. So even anything higher than the physical, angels, Elijah the prophet, uh, getting, receiving answers through dreams, uh, divine inspiration, hearing the heavenly voice or the echo, you have to be a very spiritual person. But prophecy is a whole different level. Prophecy is sensing the divine, godliness, seeing the divine. Now within prophecy itself, there was no one greater than Moshe. Moshe saw it, experienced it, the world of emanation, unfiltered. The lower level, the external level, the lower level of the world of emanation. It was an experience of seeing. And the Moshe was like, was like seeing as much as a human being could. Hashem says, you can't see my face, but you can see my back. It's like seeing someone. Imagine, just imagine, if you suddenly got a visitation, If you suddenly saw, let's say you got a visitation, you go home tonight and you see, you see the Rebbe is visiting you, <laughs> right? Would it, would it change your life? Right? It would, it would alter your life forever. You would never forget that experience. He would be, even if he said nothing, you just he's there. He's, he's sitting in the room, sitting in the chair. Imagine you had Elijah the prophet visiting you. He said nothing. Not he was teaching any Torah. Just, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> right? You would faint, you would, <laughs> I don't know what you would do, but you would, uh, you would uh, that would sheer into your soul, you would never forget that. A visitation. Imagine an angel revealed itself to you. You were able to 
communicate with an angel. You, you would be blown away. Samson's father, Benoach, he, he, he thought he was going to die. He saw the angel, he thought he was going to die. He was so overwhelmed. His wife, she can handle it. She saw, the, But he, he just couldn't take it. It was so overwhelming. He thought, that's just a spiritual experience, a spiritual revelation. A personal visitation, a personal connection to something spiritual, something that's beyond the senses. That's otherworldly, that's heavenly. Multiply that infinite times. If Hashem reveals Himself to you. Hashem Himself, God Himself, God Almighty Himself reveals Himself to you. Even if it's only His back. But you see Hashem's presence. Would He ever be the same? It would change you forever. I saw Hashem. That's not faith. I see. I've experienced it. It's the closest we get, but that's the language that we use. I see it. I'm seeing it. I'm not, this is not faith. I'm seeing. I see. It's a personal encounter. I see Hashem. So even if Hashem says nothing, just the experience of sensing and seeing Hashem, that's why he says it's the lowest level of the world of emanation, like the legs going forward. It's not Hashem is sharing something with me, is, is teaching me, or, or Hashem is giving me some insights. The fact that I see Hashem, the fact that I see His back, so to speak. What more do I need? I mean, that's, that's the greatest experience imaginable. That will change your life forever. That's what Moshe experienced. That's prophecy. And that's the highest level a person could achieve. Then you have wisdom. Wisdom is the insights, understanding, perception. So the Talmud says, is going to say, which is greater, the wise man or the prophet? Talmud says, wisdom, the wise man is greater than the prophet. Because the wise man is receiving something internal from the inside. The insight. The wisdom. That will change your life. The prophet, however, just has the experience of seeing Hashem, seeing his back, seeing something godly. But between, between the two of us, between me and you, if you had a choice of going to see a wise man or going to see a prophet, who would you run to? <laughs> you would go run to see the prophet. Wisdom, wisdom, thank God there's a lot of wisdom out there. Prophets? Someone who experienced Hashem? Are you kidding me? And, as he says, the prophet also is wise. To be a prophet, you have to be wise. Moshe knew everything that Rizal knew. Not by way of prophecy, the same way that Rizal knew it, by way of wisdom. There's a famous story, a beautiful story, in the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. He said a Hasidic discourse. Very deep Hasidic discourse. After he said this Hasidic discourse, when the Rebbe would say Hasidic discourse, he would close his eyes, they would sing a song, everyone would stand up. And even though the air conditioning in 770 was powerful, the Rebbe would sweat. He would take out his handkerchief and hold on to it under the table. It was like holding on to this world. He was like in a deep trance. He was in a different, different... And... After the third Lubavitcher Rebbe said in the discourse, there was an argument amongst the children and the Hasidim what the Rebbe meant, interpretation of this Hasidic discourse. So there was Rabbi Hillel Padacher, probably the greatest Lubavitcher Hasid that ever lived. He interpreted one way. The sons of the Rebbe, they argued and they said, no, they interpreted the Hasidic discourse in a different way. So they brought this argument to the Rebbe. He says, the Hasidim are discussing. It's not clear. 
two camps. Rabbi Hillel Parisha argues that this is the meaning in the Maimur, and the, your children say no. And the Temer Tzedek said, my children are right. So they told Rabbi Hillel, see, we asked the Rebbe, and the Rebbe sided with his children, that they, they interpreted correctly. Rabbi Hillel did not back down. And the Rebbe told the story many times. Rabbi Hillel did not back down. He says, listen, when the Rebbe is saying a Hasidic discourse, God is speaking through his throat, it's a divine transmission, he's just a conduit. Hashem is speaking to him. It's like the world of emanation, Hashem is speaking through him. It's holy. It's... After he finishes the Hasidic discourse, we're learning Prat, we're learning, we're trying to understand what the Maimah means. The Rebbe is a Jew and he's learning the same Maimah, and I'm a Jew. So he has his interpretation. I think, I think, he does, I think that's not the correct interpretation. I can disagree with him. I think that's not the correct everything. The Rebbe repeated this many times. Now the sons of the Tzemel Tzedek, the children of the Tzemel Tzedek, countered back and said, listen, you're right. But someone who God speaks through his throat, <laughs> I think I would trust his, his yeah. understanding, <laughs> his interpretation. I think I can rely on his wisdom that his interpretation maybe is a little closer to the truth. And they both have a point. They're both right. So Moshe, as prophet, as seeing Hashem and Hashem revealing Himself to him, and if, if you could imagine, if we were to see an angel, or we had a visitation of a holy Jew who passed away already, or if we had a visitation from Elijah the prophet, or if we, if we had divine inspiration, we would we would jump out of our skin. Imagine if we had a revelation from Hashem Himself, God Almighty Himself, on any level, we would be jumping from our skin. Even if He doesn't say anything. He's not sharing an insight, He's just revealing Himself. Just that experience is worth more, is more precious, is, is more exciting, is more interesting, is more fascinating than anything, anything we can possibly then there's insight, there's wisdom, learning, understanding. So in the Torah, Hashem is sharing with us His wisdom, His insights, His brilliance, His infinite brilliance, His understanding. In that sense, the wise man is greater than the prophet. So there's Moshe as prophet, and there's Moshe as the wise one. So as prophet, that's what Darizal meant. Darizal, who he himself is, talks about the loftiest levels. So he's coming to limit Moshe, that Moshe was only able to reach the lowest level of the world of emanation. Darizal is not saying that Moshe only knew of the lowest level of emanation. He didn't know that there were higher levels. He knew all of those levels. Of course he did. As Kabbalist, as wise man, but as prophecy... As seeing and sensing, seeing Hashem, seeing godliness, directly seeing godliness, this, you could only reach Hashem's back. You could only reach the external level, the external level of wisdom, and even that, the way it's enclosed and hidden in the world of Bina, and even that, the way it's enclosed and hidden in the emotions, and even that, the way it's enclosed and hidden in the world of Netzach, Hod, and Yisoyed Malchus, which is the lowest level of the world of Netzach. I'm trying to understand the implications for this. Is it because, obviously, you know, Moshe was the conduit for the Torah, and then that would mean the Torah didn't come from the highest level of Hashem? That's a very, very good question. That we're going to learn, we'll leave that to the next year, that we're going to learn, he's going to address that at the end of, the, at the end of this letter. But first, he wants to explain the difference between prophecy and, and wisdom. Seeing something grasps its essence. Comprehension merely grasps its externality. In these terms, Scripture describes Moshe Rabbeinu's prophetic apprehension. You shall see my back. It's only the back, but he says, you shall see my back. As Maimonides says, it's like, for example, I see someone from their back. I can't make out their face but I can describe their backs. I get some sense of the person, some sort of description that singles out the person from everyone else. 
So also Hashem's existence is something that's beyond our comprehension, beyond human comprehension. Because Hashem doesn't exist like we exist. Hashem's existence is an absolute existence, not like our existence, which is arbitrary. So we can't even begin to comprehend what it means, true existence, absolute existence. No human being could understand absolute existence. If we were to understand, we would be. But Moshe came the closest. Moshe was able to see, just like when you see someone from the back and you're able to describe them and you're able to distinguish them, so you know them, you can separate them from everyone else just by their back. So Moshe came the closest that's humanly possible to understand Hashem's absolute existence. Now, we can understand it logically and rationally. We can understand what it means to be an absolute existence. But Moshe was able to see he was able to see Hashem's back. He was able to see and perceive and experience the most, the maximum that a human being could experience. What it means. What Hashem's existence means. What Hashem is. He was able to see Hashem. The closest that it's possible for a human being to see. Hashem's back, so to speak. But he saw it. That's the difference. Versus if you're not a prophet, you can understand it. You don't see it. It's logical, it's rational, you can be aware of it. You can understand it spiritually, you can, but, but you can't see it. Moshe saw it, it's like when I physically see something. He was able to see it. I don't even know what that means. Right, we can't, we can't relate to it. <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> we can't relate to it. Because we don't even see spiritual. Oh, I see, right. Let alone something godly. It's so beyond us. We, all we can see, we can see the table. When you do this comparison between greatest and also super great, um, it gives us a sense of hierarchy that implies something about uh, where we are in comparison with that whole um, gamut of things. And uh, the fact that everything is always there displaying itself, but we can't experience it. That, that creates the desire to uh, use whatever, if you call it spiritual technology, to move towards being able to apprehend on whatever level. Very good, because firstly, it gives us insight into our great ones. You know, we talk about the holy rabbis, the rabbis from the Talmud, Maimonides, Rashi, the Shulchan Code of Jewish Law, and Baal Shem Tov, of course, and Alter Rebbe, and all these great Jewish leaders. It gives us a tremendous sense of um, awe that we're dealing here with holy people. This is not just they were clever people, smart people. You know, we're dealing with biblical characters. They were holy people. They had a window to heaven. They were, they were like a different dimension. It's a whole different being. It's almost a whole different being. It's not like, you know, just, oh, we're almost alike. Just they were, and maybe we're a little more sophisticated than modern. They were closer to heaven. They were so, they were so much greater than us. As one of the Amiroyim, one of the Talmudic rabbis, the later generation, writes, he says, you know, we're so much smarter than the older generation. We know so much more. And yet, when there's no rain, I think it's Rabbi Yehuda, he took off his shoe and suddenly the water started pouring. <laughs> and we pray and yell and scream like the heavens, and no one's even paying attention, no one's even paying attention to us. Because they were holy people. We have to realize that these Jews were holy Jews. They were saintly people. They were godly people. They were eagles people. They were tuned in. They were connected. You know, our rabbis and our leaders, I mean, we, you know, we can't, it's not apples to apples. It's, 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 you know, you have to, and you're right. The bottom line is, not only that we should have a tremendous respect and appreciation for the holiness and the biblical characters and midgets that we are spiritually, but this whets our appetite that it's not enough just to mechanically go through the motion and do the mitzvot as if it's just a ritual and a custom. We have to become godly. Being Jewish means that something has to rub off in us. We have to become a little more egoless, a little more refined, 
a little more saintly, a little more kind, a little more gentle, a little closer to spirituality, a little closer to godliness. We should aspire and yearn with our, every fiber of our being, every bone in our body. We want to connect with Hashem experientially, not just superficially. It should permeate our being 24-7. We should become godly people and good people. So it, it changes your whole, your whole perspective what you're trying to accomplish with Judaism. It's not enough to do Jewish. I want to be Jewish. I want to be godly. And every mitzvah that I do and every Torah that I learn and every prayer that I do and every act of goodness and kindness helps me in that goal, helps me to become a more godly person, reveal the godliness and become a little more tuned in. As it says, when Mashiach will come, every Jew will become a prophet. God will pour a spirit of prophecy. This is one of the prophecies. God says, promises. I will pour my spirit of prophecy in all your sons and daughters. And as we get closer to that time, that's why we had the Hasidic revelation. We had the Tanya. This is preparing us and wetting our appetite and making, helping us create the space that we should be worthy and we should be to usher in that era and to enter into that era. That we should be ready and to receive and to absorb and to experience all the godly revelations that, that's in store for us, that Hashem will reveal, because Mashiach will be the greatest, most intense revelation of godliness ever experienced. Even in the temple, even the Holy of Holies, they haven't experienced what we will experience with the coming of Mashiach in this physical world. Believe it or not, in the here and now, 2015, in this coarse, crass world that we live in, and yet this world will, is ready and will be ready to absorb, and we will be ready to absorb these tremendous, intense revelations. So yes, this does whet our appetite. This does wake us up that we got to get our act together, and we have to get ready and get serious and stop playing around, stop playing games, because it's happening. And... Uh, here, whether ready or not, here it comes. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, actually, this doesn't inspire me as much as what you told us about the Sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, what he went through. I don't know if it's because it's closer to our time period. Uh, to me, you know, the sacrifice, uh, the willingness to sacrifice life to preserve Judaism against. What were you saying? He defeated Stalin and Hitler. I don't know. To me, I can't think of anything that's more inspiring. That's like the story, the famous parable of the Baal Shem Tov. Two people had an appointment to see the king face to face. And the king said, whoever wants to meet with me can come meet with me. I'm open. So you had the Nobel Prize winner, the most brilliant one in the land, coming to the palace for the first time in his life to see the king. But to get to the palace, you have to go through the, like the Versailles, the gardens, mm-hmm. you know, the most exquisite gardens he's ever laid eyes upon. And being such a brilliant scholar, he knew the history of each flower and this exotic flower and where it's from and the botany. And he's, <laughs> he's mesmerized. It took him two hours just to cross <laughs> the garden. He's just swimming in just the experience. He's never seen anything like it. Then he sees, then the palace emerges, the architecture, things he's only read about and studied about comes alive to him, this exquisite architecture from the Roman period and the Greek period. Every detail, he just drinks it all in. It takes him an hour just to take it all in. And you don't just walk into the king. There's, there's the foyer and there's the antechamber and one chamber and another chamber and one more glamorous than the others and paintings, the rarest paintings by the greatest artists things that he just read about in books and here it is and he stops at each painting he's just blown away by it finally when he comes to the king the inner chamber <laughs> it's too late he missed his appointment then you had the simple person a simple person knew nothing about botany knew less about architecture knew less about art it took him exactly 10 minutes to cross the garden it took him another 10 minutes to, to cross all the rooms and he's sitting with the king for a few hours. So at the end of the day, who's ahead of the game? Simple person. Because what's the palace all about? 
palace is about the king. It's just the projection of the king, his majesty, his splendor, his glory. His, but the point of the whole palace is the king. So the professor, the brilliant one, got so caught up in the splendor and the majesty and the projection, he forgot what it's all about. He forgot about the king. He left the king waiting. The simple person, because of his simplicity, he doesn't know of this, doesn't know of that. I'm with the king. That's all that matters. So too the Bashem Tev taught us that a person can get caught up and carried away with spirituality. Spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip, the ultimate distraction from God. You get so caught up in the meditation and the higher levels of consciousness and the mind-blowing experiences and ecstasy and you know, one experience more dazzling than the next, you forget about the king. You're so into the intense experiences. Versus the mitzvah. The mitzvah is very physical. Take a match and light a candle at the right time. Put on the tillin, leather hide, black boxes, leather hide of an animal, putting it on. Doing the mitzvah, shaking the rule of the yesterday, eating the matzah. You can sit and meditate on the meaning of Exodus and, and Passover. You don't eat the matzah. You haven't celebrated. You eat the matzah physically. Bite into the matzah. Eat the matzah. Have the mitzvah. So the physical, the simple, that simplicity touches the essence of Hashem. And that's what Hasidus taught the Baal Shem Tev and the Alter Rebbe, that always keep your eyes on the ball. The deed is what matters most. It's the action. It's the simple. Keeping your eyes on Hashem. Don't get, don't get so caught up because this is the danger. That's, that was the danger of Kabbalah. That's where a lot of people got lost. They got so caught up and dazzled by the spirituality that they forgot about the physical, the mitzvah, halacha. The bottom line is Hashem is not impressed with all the... That's all the projection. It's all the... It's just the projection. It's not the essence. The essence is... At the end of the day, all that exists is you and Hashem and you're doing the right thing. And you're doing the mitzvah. So the self-sacrifice of the previous Rebbe... Mm that he never got distracted. Never got distracted and bedazzled and mm. always kept to the point. Mm. Because of his self-sacrifice, always was connected to the emes. And that's Hashem himself. That's the mitzvah. Teaching that child olive base. Making sure that there's a mikvah. Making sure that there's a yeshiva. Making sure that there's someone to teach Torah. It's tremendous self-sacrifice. And it didn't matter whether it was in Russia or here in America. The self-sacrifice in America was much harder than the self-sacrifice in Russia. To be a Jew in the melting pot in 1940s in America was tremendous. And today even, with all the distractions, to be faithful and connected and keep your eyes on the ball and remember it's all about Mashiach and we have to bring Mashiach and we have to change this world and make this world into a Torah world, into a godly place... To keep that focus, it's not getting distracted. I'm not getting bedazzled by all the... So you're right. You could get so distracted by prophecy and divine inspiration and angels and Elijah the prophet and you forget what it's all about. At the end of the day, it's about doing someone a favor, being kind, doing an act of goodness and kindness, doing tzedakah, studying Torah, doing the mitzvah, remembering, remain connected, Remember the goal. Keep your eyes on the ball. Be faithful and loyal and connected. And the action and the deed is what matters most. So, you're right. But on the other hand, Hashem did create this whole world of angels and worlds. And it's all for us. It's all for our sake. Because it's important. It's important to be spiritual. You have to be refined. You can't just be a robot. You can't just be a action. action. A robot could also act. You have to, Hashem wants us also to be for real. He wants us to be genuine. He wants us to mean it, to be sincere, to be heartfelt, to be passionate, to be sensitive, to be tuned in. We do the mitzvah, we should pour our whole whole heart and soul into the mitzvah. Our mind should be focused, our heart should be inflamed. We should do it 100%. Just like intimacy, 100%. Every fiber of your being, every bone of your body. No half measures. So this whole world of spirituality and heaven and godliness and the world of emanation, and it's all for our sake, that we should be open. Because a person who's materialistic is a closed person. A person who's spiritual is open. 
open to change. As long as you're open to Hashem. When you just become, when spirituality becomes an end in itself, it becomes the biggest distraction. Just like that professor, he got so caught up with the palace, he forgot about the king. That's the biggest danger. That's the danger of Kabbalah. That's why they said don't study Kabbalah until you're 40, until you're married, until you know the whole Talmud, until you're... Because that's the danger. You know, you get, people get so caught up, they forget what it's all about. Forget about Hashem. But a person who's spiritual in the right way, all it does is it opens you up to Hashem, opens you up to His Torah, opens you up to His mitzvot, opens you up to, to, to your Jewishness, opens you up to the hope and aspiration of Mashiach and uh, Emmas. And so then that's, that's, that's a key ingredient. It's a necessity. We need to be spiritual. We need to be refined. We need to be egoism. We need to be open to expand, to, to, to be, create the space to allow Hashem in. Otherwise, we're closed beings. Our heart is closed. Our mind is shut down. And we don't budge. And we don't change. We're like a stone. Stone doesn't move. You have to be spiritual. You need some life. You need some movement. You need some change. But it's that self-sacrifice that keeps you focused. That you use that spirituality not as an end in itself, but to infuse the mitzvot, infuse the connect with Hashem. Open opens you up to Hashem. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.